Welcome to Downtown Community Church. My name is Ben, and I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here. And over the past couple weeks, we have been going through this series called Agree to Disagree. The undercurrent behind the series is all about how we as a church are one. And not just for the sake of, you know, everybody holding hands and singing kumbaya together, but the undercurrent behind this series is that our oneness matters because our witness is at stake. The way that we are one together matters to a hurt and a lost and a broken world. It matters to the people who don't know Jesus. In fact, I would say that one of the biggest opportunities the church has is if we can be one together, it will be such a difference, such a obvious, palpable difference to a culture that is extraordinarily divided. A culture that says, if you disagree with me, I don't like you. If you disagree with me, I disassociate with you. If you disagree with me, I hate you, or that means that you hate me. If, if you disagree with me, then I'm going to cancel, I'm going to unfollow, I'm going to unfriend, and I'm going to disassociate with you. And how could you ever think different than me? And what's interesting is as we've gone through this series, it's been a lot about disagreement and belief. And to finish this series, I want to talk about one thing that I think is, is probably the most important thing that we can talk about when it comes to division in the church. Because institutionally, churches can disagree on belief, but what actually separates believers, I think, is something totally different. I think what causes division in the church is something much different than just belief in and of itself. Today, here's the subject that we're going to talk about, and it couldn't be more important for you and for I to understand how we get along, and it's simply this, forgiveness, 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 because when it comes to you and when it comes to me, the truth is, is that we can disagree, but disagreement in and of itself doesn't always divide us. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but you can probably count on one hand the, the number of times that you have disagreed someone with someone and it caused you to not be in relationship with them anymore. But here's what we've probably all experienced. There's division that happens when you hurt me or when I hurt you. Here's what we know. I sin against God every day. Probably all of us would acknowledge that and agree with that. But very few of us acknowledge that I am sinned against every day and I sin against people every day. You see, here's what I believe to be true. It's that most division in the church doesn't happen because of the fact that we're separated, but most division in the church doesn't happen because of differences in belief, but the grudges and hurt we hold due to the pain we've experienced from one another. In other words, if you think about your church experience, if you think about perhaps your family who left a church, the reason they left a church or a church who split, the reason that the church probably split maybe was, was under the umbrella of belief, but more often than not, a family who left the church, a person who left the church, two people who are no longer in community with one another, it's almost always because of hurt, of hurt. You did something or I did something and there was hurt involved. I had an expectation of you, but when my expectation met the actual experience, there was a gap there. There was a difference between what I expected you to do, what I expected you to say, how I expected you to treat me. And then I had the experience of how you actually treated me, what you actually said, what you actually did. And there was hurt there. Now, in other words, division happens through hurt. Division happens through hurt. So today we're going to talk about forgiveness. 
And let me kind of pause in the middle of all this and say, when we talk about forgiveness, it could be an incredibly difficult topic. And the reason is, is because it has to do with the things, the trauma, the hurt, the pain that I've experienced, and the hurt and the pain that you've experienced. And for some of us, when we talk about this, there's one or two people maybe that you had conflict with recently, and it's, you know, kind of surface level. There was something perhaps that happened that you were angry, you were frustrated, you were upset at the other person. But for whatever reason, you know, there was this, there was this difference, there was this dissonance. But for some of us, when it comes to our frustrations and our hurts and our pain, it's way more than surface level. It's way more than, you know, I just, you know, so-and-so, you know, Karen said something about me or, you know, freaking, you know, Brad said something else, you know, and, and they just frustrated me. It goes deeper than that. For some of us, this, this is difficult because for some of us, again, it is, it is a pain of neglect that happened for years. Perhaps it's a pain of abuse that happened for years. Perhaps someone did something to you, someone hurt you, someone violated you in a way that, that even the thought of forgiving them is something that's so difficult to even grasp and wrap your minds around. We kind of get to the point where we say, I don't even know if I ever can forgive. And let me just tell you, if that's you, I, I get that. We all have pain. We all have story. We all have, we all have that thing that has happened, or a lot of us at least have that thing that has happened that, that if you were to tell everybody, I mean, it would just be this story, and you would sit down at coffee, and for an hour, you would explain, and, and we would, you know, at the end of it, we would both be in tears, and there would be almost nothing to say, because, man, some of you, you have experienced some pain and some hurt. But I think this is so true. That division happens, internal division in a church body happens through hurt. When we hurt one another, we almost innately become divided. And we talk about forgiveness a lot, or at least the, the idea of forgiveness is fairly common to churches. But here's the problem. Nobody talks about what that means. Nobody talks about how to get there. Nobody talks about what that looks like. We just say, forgive, forgive, forget. Or, or, or perhaps you heard this, forgive and forget, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. <laughs> and we know we ought to, but how do you know when you actually have? We know we ought to, but how do we actually go through a process of forgiveness? Is it a process? Is it an instant thing? Is it something that I'm working on? And, and here's the problem for some of us, too, is it's not just a sense of forgiveness. It's, it's the person that we're trying to forgive or that we think that we should forgive doesn't seek our forgiveness. For some of us, the person that we feel like we ought to forgive isn't even alive. So what do you do with that? And why in the world is forgiveness so important? Well, the good thing is Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness. I want to start off with, with, with a story in Luke that Jesus is talking. In fact, there's two stories that we're going to read through today. To a degree, they mirror one another. Um, Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he's talking about you should, we should go to know one another when we're hurt. Um, this is what he says. He says, pay attention to yourselves. The reason he just said that is because he says, you know, the worst thing that you can do is cause one of your, one of your friends, one of your neighbors, one of your brothers or sisters in Christ to stumble. That, that you and I, because of something that we do, would cause someone else to stumble. So he says this, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, I love how it starts off there. 
Because it doesn't start off from a passive tone of forgiveness. It says, okay, if your brother sins or if your sister sins or if someone sins against you, here's what I want you to first and foremost do. I want you to go talk to them. Here's what it does not say. If your brother or your sister sins against you, I want to get with your community group and I want you to lock hands with everybody in the name of Jesus. I want you to just pray for that person, you know, and I want you to say, can you believe what so and such, such and such did, you know, and we have this little um, gossip mill oftentimes in the church world. And I hope this isn't true of us, but we have a gossip mill that's called a prayer request time, you know, and I'm saying, will you just pray for Karen? Cause oh my gosh, I can't believe she did that again. You know, can you, and everybody's like, yeah, you know, Karen, she's always going to do that, you know? And, and so everybody starts to cumulatively think about this Karen. But the truth is, is we very rarely in the church room, when we have been hurt one another, actually go and talk to the person and say, that hurt. That hurt. That was tough. When you said that, and I know perhaps you didn't have any intent, but that was incredibly damaging and hurtful to me. As guys, to be honest, we don't even want to agree or we don't even want to acknowledge that something hurt us. But whether we acknowledge or not, or confront it or not, it is true. In the same way we sin against God every day, we sin against other people every day, and other people sin against us, and it says, hey, there are times, there are times that you need to go talk to the person who you feel like has wronged you. Now, let me just pause and say, how much just in general healthier of a culture, a church culture, would churches have? If people who had problems with one another actually talked to one another. You see, if, if someone has wronged you and they don't know that they have wronged you, this is important. The first step to forgiveness is to talk to them about the wrong they have done to you. I would guess there are people in every one of our lives that they have wronged us, we harbor hurt, pain, we harbor a, harbor a negative kind of vindictive attitude towards them, and they have no clue that they hurt us. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of that. I have. It's called leadership, okay? What happens is, is you did something a long time ago, you said something and you were given a sermon and you blah, 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 and then you'd said something and it offended somebody or you didn't ha- say hey to somebody or something happened along the way and all of a sudden this little thing started kind of growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and all of a sudden became this big thing and this big thing and big thing and I kid you not, I have had people who have sat down with me and basically said, <clears throat> it, they didn't say it in these words, these are my interpretation of those words, Ben, I think that you were the worst person on planet earth and I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, what happened in that process? And they'll start to explain, well, it started off with this, and then this happened, and that happened, and that happened. And the entire time, here's what I came to realize. For six months, for eight months, for a year, there was something small that happened a long time ago. And because it never got talked about, never got addressed, all of a sudden, they're like, you are the worst person on, on planet Earth. And the great thing is, is once they said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I had no clue. <laughs> My fault. I wish you would have said something a long time ago because we could have cleared that up. She says, first off, I want you to go talk to that person. And when you talk to that person, rebuke them, which is really strong language to basically say, go tell them that something happened. And if they repent, forgive them. 
And if they sin against you seven times in the day and turn to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him or her. Now, Though we know this is true, I want you to imagine somebody actually doing something that, that sins against you, right? Someone comes and punches you in the face, and, and they say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's like, that's okay, you know, one time perhaps, you know, or, or perhaps, you know, the second time. It's like they punch you in the face, and it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, you know, next time you're catching a left hook to the cheekbone, okay? They do it again, they do it again, they do it again, and it's not specifically about this like physical violence, right? But, but he's saying, I want you to continue as much as they repent, as much as they repent, as much as they repent, as much as they come to you and say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I have sinned against you, I want you to forgive them. Now, you know how challenging a teaching is by what the reaction is to the people who are hearing the teaching. So I want to read to you the, the disciples' reaction. When he says, okay, I want you to just continue to forgive and continue to forgive and continue to forgive. This is what he says. In, they say in verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, <laughs> increase our faith. In other words, Jesus, we believe in you, but that, that, that's stretching. Like, we believe in you, but it's going to take some faith to continue to forgive. And, and we love you. We love you. Yes, we do. We love you. How about you? But I just don't know that I have that much faith because that takes a lot of faith to exercise. Now, here's the problem with forgiveness. Is forgiveness, in some way, shapes, and forms, makes us feel like like we have to be a doormat forever, or it's just this, this wide open you know, genre to be used and to be abused. So before we go into what real forgiveness, the process of forgiveness looks like, I think it's important to say there are some things that forgiveness is not. So here's what forgiveness doesn't mean. Forgiveness doesn't mean, number one, forgiveness doesn't mean you're forgetting. This doesn't mean that for the rest of your life, right, somebody has done something to you. Let, 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 let's just say, let's just say somebody has, has hurt you deeply. Let's say it, it, it's your parent and there's been, there's been neglect that has happened. It doesn't mean that when you forgive them and then you see them again at, at, at the family reunion or you see them again when you, you know, go to coffee together or you see them again at, at, at church or you see them again somewhere. This doesn't mean that if you forgive someone and they say, you know, I just wanted to say again, I'm so sorry about what happened. You're like, what happened? I forgot about it. The truth is, is we remember what happened. And so it doesn't mean you are totally forgetting about it. It just means that you basically don't hold it against them any longer. Harbor the negative feeling. We'll get to that in a minute. But here's a couple other things that forgiveness doesn't mean. Number two is forgiveness doesn't mean that the hurt is gone. This doesn't mean when you forgive someone that you no longer hurt, there are no, still no longer effects of the injustice that has been done to you or to me. You can still hurt. You can still remember and you can still forgive. And here's the last thing, and this might be the most important thing, is that forgiveness doesn't mean what happened to you is justified. It doesn't mean that what happened to you is okay. A lot of times, this is our problem with forgiveness, if I'm just being really honest, is we feel like in order to forgive, if I were to forgive you for what you have done to me, because you maybe have done something to hurt me, You've done something that, that just breaks through this mold of the everyday life to where I feel deeply violated. And if I were to forgive you for what you said, for what you did, 
If you were to forgive the person in your life for what they said or for what they did or for what they didn't do that they should have done, it feels like you just have to pretend like it didn't happen. It feels like you have to pretend like it is okay. What they did, oh, it really wasn't that bad. Like you have to minimize it and diminish it and like you don't still feel the effects from it anymore. And here's a couple of things that, by the way, you can do when you forgive. See, you can forgive, you can forgive, and you can put up healthy boundaries. Now, this is so important, because for some of us, you have been hurt, and the worst thing that you can do as a, as a human being, as a reasonable, spiritual, emotional person, is to say, okay, you have hurt me repeatedly, 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 and so I'm going to forgive you, and in the name of Jesus, I'm just going to expose myself to be repeatedly abused by you. You can forgive, and you can still go grow in wisdom and have healthy boundaries for what happened. Second one is this, you can forgive... And you can still need time to heal. You can still be working through the healing process as you are forgiving and you have good, healthy boundaries. And the third thing that you can forgive and is do this. You can forgive and need time to build trust. Let me say this specifically. If you have been relationally violated, if you, have, if you are in relationship, perhaps it's a parent, this is especially true in marriage, that something has happened, perhaps something as, as small as a, as a little white lie or something as big as adultery has happened, so that is, you know, in a sense, biblical grounds for divorce. It's also biblical grounds for forgiveness. But you can need time to build the trust back. So with that, I think we've got to ask the question, so what does forgiveness look like? What does forgiveness look like, and to what extent, again, do we forgive? Now, there's an interesting conversation that happened in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, hey, if you see someone, if someone has sinned against you, I want you to go, and I want you to talk to them. If they don't repent, I want you to go and bring someone else with you. I want you to bring kind of, you know, a couple of the elders of the church with you. And if they still don't repent, if they still don't say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, oh my gosh, I've done something wrong, I realize, I acknowledge it, then I want you to bring them in front of the church, which is a, an interesting concept of how that would play out today. It's like, you know, hey, <clears throat> all right, so anybody who's got a problem with somebody else, why don't you just bring them forward with every head bowed and every eye closed? You know, we're just going to have this out in the whole church-wide session. It doesn't specifically mean that. But the idea is, I want you to go and I want you to deal with the disagreement when you have been hurt or someone has, who has been hurt by you. And so Peter, talking to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, has this question. You can, you can flip over in your... In your Bible. So Peter, verse 21, came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? He said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Now, I used to read this number, and I was like, you know, Peter's ridiculous. Like, Peter, seven? That's the best that you got? What's interesting is the Jewish custom of the day was that if someone has sinned against you, you forgive them once, you forgive them twice, you give them three times. After that, time, after that, you have nothing to do with them anymore. So Peter was going above and beyond. 
Seven times doesn't seem like that much, but when you think about it, if your experience, if someone has hurt you seven different times, I mean seven times, and you've forgiven them, and then they did it again, and you forgave them, and then they did it again, and you forgave them, and they did it again, and they for, you forgave them, and they did it again, and you forgave them, and they did it again, and you forgave them, and they did it again. At some point, right, at like number three, it's like, dude, grow up. Like, quit forgiving this person. They're not going to change. Jesus says, so Jesus, how many times? Jesus responds back to him. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or as some translations say it, 70 times seven. <laughs> okay, so Jesus, so 490 times or 77 times, I just wanna understand, I need, to, I need to start keeping a tally because they're really, really violating me, okay? So I need to start keeping a tally of how many times, but this is the point that Jesus was making, is that you and I would continue to forgive, would continue to forgive, would continue to forgive as a manifestation of the gospel. So he launches into this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts of his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, in their monetary uh, currency, there was, there's a little bit of debate about how much this was, but it was somewhere between 12 million and a billion dollars. That's a big gap. But here's the point that he was saying. My man owed the king, the ruler, a lot of money, a lot more than they could ever pay. Verse 25, and he could not pay his master, or and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. <laughs> we would see this and think, Jesus, that is excessive, right? Like, like you're not talking about just like taking my man's house and making him homeless. You're going to sell his wife and his kids. But I can't really emphasize this enough. In their culture, this was totally reasonable. In, the, in their culture, this was the idea that if you have done something against me, if you, have, if you have a debt that I need to collect from you and you aren't paying on your debt, then I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your family. I'm going to sell all that you have. And I have a legal right to require all of that stuff as payment for the debt. So he says, I want you to imagine an outrageous amount of debt. So verse 26, the servant fell on his knees imploring him. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now here's what the king would have known is that there's no way he could pay that much money. The gap between his ability to pay and the debt owed he would have never been able to pay. But he says that's kind of the point. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. I don't know if any of you guys remember like old school wrestling with like a choke slam. This is about what I have a picture at this point. Right, so you got this, this servant who has been forgiven this massive debt. Then, then he says, you're forgiven, it's okay. And then you've got this other servant, or as he goes out, he sees this other guy and he owes him some denarii. Now the difference between a denarii and a talent is, is, is huge. What, what they'll approximately say, depending on how you value each, is the debt that was owed to the servant 
was about one six hundred thousandth of the debt that the servant owed to the master. The debt that was owed to the servant was about one six hundred thousandth of the debt that the servant owed to the master. In other words, the debt that the servant is owed is so incomparably small compared to the one that's owed to the master. So he continues on and he says, so this is what happened. He chokeslammed him. He says, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then verse 32, his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and you should not have, and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you. Now, this is the picture of forgiveness. This is the picture of forgiveness in the gospel. This is the idea that that you and I, the reason we forgive, the way that we forgive is through a process. Yes, it is through a series of things and it is with good, healthy parameters so we're not continually someone's doormat because that is not necessarily the call of the gospel in and of itself. But the understanding is, is that we would forgive. We would forgive out of, we would extend forgiveness to the extent that we have received forgiveness. The problem is oftentimes we try to extend forgiveness without realizing the massive debt that we have been forgiven from, right? When I realize, God, there is such a chasm between me and you. Part of the problem, by the way, in our culture is that we feel like we're not that different from God. And forgiveness is the collateral damage, Because if I haven't really been forgiven for much, then I really don't have that much forgiveness to extend. If I realize that, oh my gosh, I have this massive debt. I mean, this debt that in the holiness of God, in the purity of God, in the in the goodness of God, in the God that if I ever saw because of his incredible, almost incomparable holiness, I, if I saw him in his glory, I would fall over dead. And God saw me who has not simply sinned against him once or twice, or man, I had a really bad Thursday and I did it again, right? right? What we would all say is because of the way that we have lived, man, we have sinned against God over and over and over. And that's not just everybody who doesn't know Jesus. That's like for those of us, the saints and the ain'ts, you know, the, the, the skeptics and the saved, like everybody daily knows God, knows what we ought to do, but doesn't do it. I mean, we sin against God seven times a day. Like that's a good day, right? Can you imagine like only seven sins today? Some of us, it's like, man, if you got like, you're, you're at that, like, um, you know, your community group leader, you're like, I think they only sin like maybe three times a day. You know, <clears throat> if you know the Varans, you're like, I think they went a day without sinning one time, you know, maybe two days. Right. Right. But, 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 but you look at it and you sit there and you think, man, I sin against God all the time. When we get underwhelmed with the gospel, It's because we either minimize our depravity or his holiness. But if we get that, what we see is that, man, when I see you, yeah, you may have hurt me. You may have done stuff against me. But are you kidding me? Like the way that you hurt me is one six hundred thousandth of the way that I have sinned against God. Now, with all the kindness and empathy that I can muster up, I would simply say this, 
that is really difficult for some of us. Because you have been violated and hurt. And so have I. You have been deeply violated and hurt. And so have I. And if we were to sit down and talk about our stories, I mean, I'd tell you about friends, and some of you guys know some of my friends who have done stuff that hurt people, that hurt me, that I look around and I say, oh my gosh, how could that happen? But the reality is, when I look at how much God has forgiven, I can't help but come to the realization that I have sinned so much more, so much more often against God. And so he says, this is, this is, this is the outer working of that. Should you not have mercy on your fellow servants as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. He says, so, my, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, for some of us, we read that and think, oh my gosh, so can I lose my salvation? This is the understanding that when we receive forgiveness, when we understand what we have been forgiven from, we will naturally, forgiveness just, just come to us, it actually then goes and it flows through us. Here's the, here's the simple way to put this, by the way, is that you and I, we extend forgiveness to the extent we've, been, we've experienced forgiveness. We extend forgiveness to the extent we've experienced forgiveness. You and I extend forgiveness to the extent that we have experienced forgiveness. But if I am trying to extend forgiveness without first experiencing forgiveness, I am drawing from a well that is not there. Now, I just want to pause and say this, too, because this is, this, is, this is vitally important to the understanding of why God would ask us to forgive. Because I think, in part, we would say this and we'd say, okay, generally speaking, this is true. But why would God ask me to forgive somebody? Like, what's the good in that? From my experience, when we forgive, it has less to do with freeing the other person from the debt and the weight of that which they have violated me. But when I can free myself or I can understand conceptually how much I have been freed from in God and I can say, I know that you have done some stuff to me. I know that you have violated me. I know that I have violated you and I'm going to need your forgiveness at some times. But in that, when I forgive, I feel free. Here's what, you, here's what we don't realize. As long as I have a negative, vindictive reaction when I think about what you have done to me, I am enslaved to that feeling. When we forgive, it has less to do with canceling the debt of others and more to do with the fact that we feel freedom. Forgiveness may not free the offender, but it always frees the forgiver. Forgiveness may not free the offender, but it always frees the forgiver. And don't you want that? 
Like that negative thing, that hurt, that pain, that thing that's going on inside. Like we want to experience freedom from that negative, from that, from that vindictive, from that vengeance, from that thing that we know it's been hurting us. And here's what I've also seen is when we get good at forgiveness, when we get good at forgiveness, this is the impact that it has, is that forgiveness, forgiveness is a witness to the world, and it creates oneness in the church. People will see the way that we forgive one another. People will see the way that we say, oh my gosh, I know that you've done something against me. I know that you've, you've hurt me in, in our culture. I know that you offended me, right? But, but I forgive you, man, because I have been forgiven so much by God. It's a witness to the world because the world sees it and says, how, how do they continually just forgive one another? It creates oneness in the church that we all understand that, that yeah, you've done some stuff to me. I've done some stuff to you. We've all been massively forgiven, and we are all on this global mission to take the name of Jesus to everyone. And the last thing is this, and it gives freedom to the forgiver. It gives freedom to the forgiver. This would change many of our lives, and it should and it can for some of us, it's a process. For some of us, it's a, it's a daily thing. For some of us, it's a destination that we get to. And once you experience forgiveness, you are at forgiveness. And for some of us, we've been deeply hurt and deeply violated. And we go back and forth. And one day I feel good about it. One day I don't harbor negativity. One day I don't harbor vengeance. One day I don't harbor this vindictive type attitude for you. And then one day, man, I didn't have enough sleep last night. I didn't have any coffee this morning. I didn't drink enough water. And I'm feeling negative today, right? And I don't feel like I forgive you anymore. And for some of us, man, it shifts back and forth. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when we forgive, when we forgive, we feel freedom. The church becomes one and the world witnesses this, this highly uncommon and highly unnatural act. So what do you do? What do you do? I think at the core Forgiveness starts with realizing that I am forgiven. And from there, there's a bunch of different ways. Everyone's hurt is different. There is no form-fit process. For some of us, it's you need to go and talk to the person. For some of us, you can't talk to the person. If you can't talk to the person, but you wish you could, one of the most therapeutic things that, that I think you can do, and my wife suggests this all the time, who is a therapist, by the way, she says, you should write them a letter. In fact, even if they are still around and, and you just don't even, you're not in the point where you could have a conversation, just, just putting your thoughts, writing them on paper, there is a therapeutic act that you begin to deal with the hurt and the pain as you begin to document and say, if I could write you a letter, this is what I write for you. I'm telling you, I have heard stories of people who didn't think they had pain, kind of thought that they were over it. They started to write a letter and then like three hours later, they're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Because the floodgates opened. Hurt that they didn't know was there was there. It begins with me realizing I've been forgiven, the incredible extent, and here is my hope and my prayer, is that as we realize that, in light of the hurt that we've experienced, in light of the hurt that we have caused, we 
would forgive. We would realize how great the chasm was between us and God, the incredible grace that God saw the forgiveness and saw the debt that was owed, and he'd absorbed the debt in his son Jesus, that he paid the price because the chasm was just far, far, far too wide. And on the cross, God said, it is finished. That debt is finished. That forgiveness is here. You are now free. I pray that we are a forgiving church. I pray that we are one as a church. I pray that the world would know that God sent us because of the way that we are one in each other. Because in a lot of our differences, in a lot of our beliefs, in a lot of our hurts and our hangups and our traumas and our pains, we always forgive. And even if that person hasn't asked for forgiveness, we would do what our heavenly father has done for us. We would do what we saw Jesus do when Jesus was being carried to the cross, on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. They have no clue the hurt they're causing. They have no clue the pain and the consequence. But God, would you forgive them? I pray that if you are in a deep sense and series and season of hurt, you would experience the overwhelming forgiveness of God and that would compel you to forgive and engage in the process of forgiveness. Let's pray together. God, would you help us to simply understand how much we have been forgiven? God, none of this really makes sense unless we realize that we in and of ourselves are pitiful, sinful, wretched, depraved people. That even our most righteous acts, our best things, our most altruistic activities, God, just pale in comparison to your glory and your holiness. And not only that, but we sin against you every single day. And you have forgiven us. God, I pray that we would experience that forgiveness, that on the cross you said it is finished, this debt is canceled, that for everyone who places their faith, their hope, their trust in me, for everyone who receives this free gift of salvation, you have been forgiven. And if that's you in this room, and, and the truth of this morning is, is you have never actually experienced the love of God, you've never actually experienced the forgiveness of God, you've gone perhaps your entire life to this point, and you know about Jesus, but you would never be able to say that I have been forgiven by Jesus. I know conceptually that God did something for me, but I have never placed my faith, my hope, my trust in him, and I have never actually experienced the extent of forgiveness. I simply want you to pray this prayer alongside of me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I have sinned against you, yet you have loved me. You sent your son for me to forgive me, to restore me. In response to that, I give you my life I give you my heart. If you would give everything for me, I give everything for you. Come be my Lord. 
be my savior, the forgiver of my soul, who on the cross declared the gap is finished. And we now have oneness with you. For everyone who just prayed that prayer, I want you to know that it's the posture of your heart that you experience the love of God, that you now have unity with Christ. God, I pray that in the same way that you, Father, are one with you, Son, we would be one with another, and the entire world, the entire city of Tallahassee would come to know you, the entire county of Leon, the entire state of Florida, the entire, uh, the entire continent of North America, the entire world would come to know you. And it would start as we are one with each other. In the name of Jesus, we ask this.